0: plant medicines can help break some of that really rigid structure away so we can see ourselves in a more full and complete way as a human being not as a police officer not as a rioter not as you know a a mom not as oh I'm, I'm a BJJ world champion that's that's what I am that's all I am I'm an MMA world champion that's that's how I identify myself it's like You could identify yourself really as a human who happens to box. You also happen to, you know, I happen to move, but my, my center of gravity, my anchor point is I'm a homo sapien.
1: Welcome to the Driving Force Podcast, everyone. I'm your host, Chase Rosa, a former private equity analyst turned performance coach to founder CEO's and david brazilian jiu-jitsu and obstacle course race athlete this podcast will feature conversations with uniquely driven and authentic individuals across sports business and wellness who continue to achieve great things in their respective fields by presenting their stories uncensored and uncut i hope to inspire you to take a step back look within and evaluate your path and journey today's guest is cameron shane cameron is the founder and director of buddha and is considered the father and founder of mixed movement arts. Cameron pioneered the phrase and concept of BDK, mixed movement arts, by combining Brazilian Jiu Jitsu, mixed martial arts, yoga, crawling patterns, mobility, calisthenics, and cognitive studies into a single black belt system known as Budokan. Cameron describes movement as a way as a way of examining mind and believes practicing Budokan can be an excellent way to facilitate self-transformation, and self-discovery by breaking down a person's false constructs of self. Cameron began studying martial arts and meditation at the age of 12, and yoga asana training at 25. He has black belts in both karate and taekwondo, as well as his brown belt in Brazilian jiu-jitsu under the Gracie system. He's also the movement coach for Bellator world champion Lovato Jr. fight team, as well as artists and entertainers Charlie Sheen, Sean Penn, Slash, Courtney Cox, Renee Russo, Meg Ryan, and Jennifer Aniston, as well as Olympians Carrie Walsh Jennings and Sugar Ray Leonard. In this interview, we go into his upbringing and what got him interested in martial arts and yoga. We discuss his experience working as a bodyguard for Charlie Sheen and the lessons he took from that experience. We touch on plant medicine, instant fame, and self-discovery, and of course, delve deep into Budokan and movement. And so, without further ado, my interview with Cameron Shane.
0: Yeah. So what's going on, bud?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I mean, what's not going on? Yeah, seriously. With all that's going on in the world right now, it's, uh, it's pretty crazy. So I definitely appreciate you taking the time to come on the podcast. It's an honor to have you on. I really, really appreciate it and I'm an avid fan of your work and and all of that. So, so thanks again.
0: Thank you very much. I, I am grateful to have any fans.
1: (laughs) (laughs) come on! Yeah, you have tons of fans. What are you talking about?
0: (laughs) Well, I got you know the the, uh, fans or people who like to watch, you know, cars crash and trains wreck. So you know, you you, sometimes you wonder how many people are, um, how many people are really interested in what you do and what you're saying, and how many people are you know are like to watch. They like to watch the riot. You know. And there's a lot going on out there, so it's a very interesting. Yeah, there's, you know, we live in a culture where voyeurism is a sport. You know, it's something. I guess it's okay. always, been, I guess it's always been that way. But a lot of times, you know, if it's like my mother, if I, I my mom will say, oh, I'm I'm watching, you know, The Bachelor. You know, and I'll say, Jesus, mom, that's such shit. Why are you watching that? Like <laughs> she said, like, oh, I know. It's just, it's just entertaining to see you know i'm like you know but she's she knows what it is and yet is so so people do people do pay attention to things in an insincere manner in terms of they're they're not sincerely there uh, as fans they're not sincerely always present because they're interested in learning or discovering something they're oftentimes uh, just spectators, and there's there is a difference. <laughs> it's kind yeah, yeah. of a, it's a comical difference, but it is one. Um, but yeah, with the world uh, being as it is, it's special. It's definitely special. What kinds of um, what kinds of, of interests do you have in in uh, what what what, uh, what I do? What how did you find my work?
1: Yeah, so. I initially found out about it through my dad um, and through another martial arts connection of mine who has been practicing the art of sealot for many years mm-hmm. and has, was an avid fan of your videos. He's really into the art of movement, I guess you could say. Mm-hmm. And through that, he told me about, about Budokan, and I checked it out, and I was like, huh, this is, this is really, really interesting. Um, I kind of like what, what he's doing here and integrating Movement, like this calisthenics, yoga, and martial arts, into this one kind of system to help kind of drive self transformation, kind of through that c- curriculum, which I found really interesting. So, definitely want to get into that later and dive deep, but maybe to start, I'd like to start at the beginning. So, where where did you grow up?
0: Probably the south of the, you know, the U.S. Um, uh, you know, very quiet, 1971, I was born. So uh, you know, in the 70s, in the south, neighborhood, outside of the city, um, very different time, no cell phones, no social media, no, no real distractions from self-discovery. Uh, you know, the more things that you have to keep us, to keep you entertained, the, the less, the less emphasis, you know, we, and, and I, th- I think that's actually a failed, it's not the word I'm looking for, the less, the less urgency there is to discover something about you when tools are so much more entertaining so you know we love we love video games as kids we love uh, we love films we love interactive environments and so you know kids are your biggest market of course for that type of uh, technology so when i was young probably your da- you know maybe your dad how old is your dad
1: he's 67.
0: Okay, I'm 48, so um, he's 10 years older. So is he 10 years older? 50. Uh, I'm 48, 56. 20. 60, 67. Okay, he's 20 years old. Yeah. So when your dad was born, you know, um, that was a completely different era, even though the irony is technology had not changed a lot. And, and between those two points in terms of, you know, tools, you know, we had a phone, it had not advanced very much. We had, didn't have the internet still, you know, at that time. So, you know, with all those things not being there, your basic tools weren't that interesting. So as a kid, you grew up, whether it was your dad's generation or mine, you just grew up with really basic things. I mean, I grew up when eight track players were still in cars. And then you had a tape player, and then you had a CD player. And yeah, and now that's obsolete. So your dad and I grew up in a, in a very similar era, not because it was the same time, but because technology really hadn't made that much of a difference in, in, in sort of how we socialized. But now we socialize very differently and that's due to technology and we both know that. So there's no need to expound on <laughs> that. And, yeah. because, and because of that, it's changed our it's changed our relationship with ourselves more and more you know you don't really get to discover much about you if you're constantly looking outside of you now someone might argue that you learn a lot about yourself through your tools and that's a fair argument and it's true there's a lot you can learn about you through the through tools the problem is that there has to be a certain amount of time spent with yourself and you could, you, you could spend it with the tool by itself, which would sort of put you on the road of being sort of a, a master craftsman with that tool. And there's a lot to discover when you're in a way committed to a single tool for your entire life. It's like being married. So you learn a lot about being you know, yourself from being married that you just simply can't learn from being a bachelor, single young guy, who's just, you know, dating this girl and that girl and this girl and that girl. So, you know, you can learn things from that, but not the same things you learned from a committed long-term relationship. And so North Carolina at that time was a very simple place and very basic. And in the past, uh, you know, almost 50 years, of course, it's changed. That's, A half a century so it's changed a lot and a lot more people and a lot more technology and a lot more distraction and a lot so uh, more people on the planet knowing less about themselves that's where we are
1: (laughs) right and uh it cut out at the beginning there did you say charlotte north carolina charlotte okay yeah that's that's interesting it uh it reminds me of a lot of this Ito portal quote where he says the more expensive, the tool, the cheaper, the mover and the, the cheaper, the tool, the more expensive, the mover. I don't know how that, how that resonates with you.
0: Um, let's take a minute and, you know, I mean, pretty, I mean, there's with most, quotes and a quote in this case is sort of understood as an observation because it's an observational statement mm-hmm. uh, most observational statements have some truth to them you know there's there's a reason things are stereotyped uh you know so that that makes total sense so in in an, in a relative way that is true uh, if and, and again, it's also about understanding the layers of that statement because, of course, every statement can be understood in many different ways depending on how you unpack it. So mm-hmm. if you apply that statement specifically to just because you get a more expensive tool doesn't mean you're going to be a better mover, That's that's absolutely true. Just because you get a cheaper tool, it also doesn't mean you're going to be a better mover. <laughs> so, so you have to understand that as well. In other words, it'd be like this. Say that you're performing this, this function right now, uh, that we're, this is a podcast, and you're using tools to achieve this. So let's say that you were using a microphone that was not built very well, Uh, versus a microphone that's built incredibly well, and it's more expensive. Let's say that you're using headphones that don't work very well, or you're using headphones that are incredibly, you know, accurate and precise, and they can cancel noise. And it makes your, it makes you more, it frees up more of your mental energy for what you do best, which might be interviewing people, not trying to solve a problem like headphone sound. (laughs) So the statement in and of itself, again, just from a philosophical point, the statement is true and it's also untrue. And that's probably the nature of all statements, all observational quotes. So, yeah, sure. Yes and no, but yes, but no.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Right. Yeah. I'm sure it's also going to be, I guess, the, the truth, quote unquote, of that statement is going to be up to kind of the perception of the person that hears that statement and how they see the world and how they view the world, too.
0: Hey, uh, uh, the, the most beautifully built, sharp, precise sword placed in the hands of a master swordsman, you got a problem on your hands you know i'm not yeah. saying the master swordsman won't do well with a dull sword either but when you ask a great musician who do, who do you like musically because who do you think is like a who do you think is like a legend a great musician
1: i'll go Jimi hendrix
0: okay beautiful so i can tell you that Jimi hendrix would tell you the difference between a shitty guitar and a great guitar and I can assure you that he knew the difference and I can assure you that he could tell the difference and I'm sure I'm gonna assure you that he played a guitar that was built beautifully well because it got the sound he wanted it had the it had the materials were the way he wanted it so you have to understand that, you know it, it really it, it, the tool doesn't make the user the, right, you know, and, and that's in, in very important for you to understand. There were, and, and nor does the user again define the tool. But at the end of the day, tools are you know here for us to, you know, for us to learn about ourselves through them. And so that's that's the use of the tool. It's to somehow discover something and help us achieve a particular outcome. So like you know a wrench obviously needs to tighten something or take something off so how crucial is a tool and and they do make a difference an axe made a huge difference in the building of structures before we had an axe so it's it's undeniable that it made the the you know the ability to cut a tree down shape the tree you know shape what you needed to build the structure Oh, you can bet it made a difference. And as they say, I've got a, I've got a quote for you to <laughs> play with. Um, and it's, it's relatively common. Give me a thousand hours to cut down a tree, and I'll spend 900 of those hours sharpening the axe. Mm-hmm. Do you understand that statement? Yes. So you might, you have a dull axe. I have a sharp axe. Let's just see who gets that tree cut down the fastest. <laughs> so you <laughs> might want to, so like in, in the podcast right now, you know, you don't try to figure out the problems as we start going live. You do all that work up front. You sharpen the axe before you get here. And then we do the work. And now it just moves beautifully. And that's the whole thing. So it, it does matter what kind of tools you use. It does matter your preparation. It does matter how skilled you are. All of these things factor in. But to make the statement that it's an absolute truth that um, a complicated instrument or tool suggests a, an uncomplicated you know user i think that that's that's true sometimes and true not true sometimes
1: yeah yeah that yeah, that's uh that's interesting so i want to go back to the uh the timeline here so when was movement sport sports and athletics a big part of your life while you were growing up it it sounds like it it was for you
0: mm-hmm. i love sports yeah i grew up I was a competitive uh, tennis player, soccer player, basketball player, and martial artist. And I, I played sports and I'm, I loved them. I loved tennis for the, for the speed and the, the, the explosive, you know, movement on the court, the sprinting and the work. It's a very dynamic game. Yep. Um, and I loved basketball for the, the team. You know, the club being on a team and the 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 qualities that, you know, you develop from team ethic and, you know, team work ethic and cooperation. Uh, I love soccer for the same reason. I love to run and sprint and tackle. It was very physically, it was a contact sport. And I love that. Because it didn't so much connect to football. I just, and I think I, to this day, I still see football the same way. I still think it's, unnecessarily violent on the bodies of men that play it. I don't really have a general issue with football in the general sense. You know what I mean? Like, like, I think it's, I think it's a fucking tough sport. I mean, I have incredible respect for it massive, but I think it really fucks up the guys that play it professionally. I think it, you know, it's tough on their bodies. And as a, as an athletic coach, and a movement specialist it's just an unfriendly concept to just literally ram your body into another person's body (laughs) at full speed you you know what i'm saying just just the general the general premise of it is is already suggestive of damage it's it's a damaging concept and it'd be one thing if you just did it like a couple of rams when when mating season hits and they you know, fight for, for position, but to do it on a daily basis, to do it year after year, it's incredibly destructive on the body. Uh, A lot of, you know, a lot of brain injuries uh, are, are, you know, the result of, of that, of, of, of impact trauma. It's just, you know, again, I respect it. Don't get me wrong. And I'm not, I'm not saying, Oh, football's stupid. No, I don't think that at all. I think it's an amazing sport. I just think it's incredibly tough on the body. So I I definitely played sports. I was like, no, I'm going to be – I've got a long-term vision of me moving until I'm 95 years old. So, you know, though I'm a martial artist, and a lot of people say, man, that's fucking kicking people in the head. You're punching in the head. Yeah, I'll take that over football any day. I think it's far less uh, (laughs) destructive. It's just, I mean, you, hurt, you get hurt in different ways, but mostly joint injury in martial arts. You know, you get a torn meniscus, you get a, you know, you, you tear ligaments, you know, from twists and you get your basic things. You get some minor cuts, but mm, to say you get, you know, brain injury, you know, it's, it's just at this point, there's no evidence for long-term brain injury from MMA or from jujitsu um, or from judo or from karate, but you know, there, but, and and so it's, it's something to consider. So with sports, I was, I was always more interested in something that would give me an amazing feeling, but was long-term sustainable. Mm -hmm. I want to do this. I don't understand why you would do anything that's short-term in that manner.
1: Right. Right. And I was I was going to ask, do you share the same mindset about MMA and the UFC as you do football, or is it more because football is kind of that force meet force, whereas mm-hmm. whereas MMA and the UFC you can yes. you can uh, redirect and right. the force and all of that? Is that?
0: Yeah, it's not a force meets force environment. Uh, if guys bang their heads against each other, it's an accident. And the most it typically does is cut somebody. Um, But, and you do get kicked in the head and you can get kicked in the face. Rhonda Rousey obviously broke her jaw getting kicked in the face. Um, So it does have legitimate impact, but broken bones and, and injured soft tissue are not the same as permanent neurological damage or permanent joint damage that can also occur from repetitive ramming of the body, which is also seriously problematic. Football players, knees, you know, just go to shit, getting clipped at their knees all the time. Um, I mean, dude, again, you're, you're ramming your body into another person over and over and over. And it's not, that's not the same as wrestling. Wrestling's also very tough. It's a grind. It's a really tough, exhausting grind, but um, I wouldn't call it, you know, I wouldn't call it impact. Uh, I wouldn't say that it's a high impact um, sport because you're basically shooting in, capturing legs, uh, being taken down, uh, being picked up, slammed. Those are legitimate concerns for injury. And they do produce injury, but they don't – I don't think they produce the kind of injury that you receive from head-to-head contact, uh, purposeful ramming of your head. And there's really no way to tackle anybody without going head first. You can reach your arms out, but, you know, people just chuck that off. You've got to go in, you know, center line and, and try to get arms around them. And that's the same as rest. And the reason I know that, you know, I, as a kid, I grew up playing tackle football for fun, you mm-hmm. know, yeah. but not, I did, you know, not, not, uh, padded football. Um, but we played, we played, you know, tackle football as a kid. It was normal. North Carolina, we're a sports, you know, basketball, football, baseball. Um, you couldn't grow up not playing some type of contact sport, as a kid but I think you have to really ask yourself what kind of how do you see yourself athletically 10 years from now 20 years from now 30 years from now because whatever you're doing now is going to determine what you look like at 50 and 70 and 80 and so uh, you know I already feel I take a lot of risk with martial arts itself I box you know, I, I mean, MMA, and I train with all my fighters. Um, I do training camps with them. I'm their sparring partners oftentimes. Um, so I'm, I'm active in, in the work. I'm not that guy that sits on the side and just teaches people how to stretch or, move, <laughs> you know, as a, you know, as a martial artist, as a black belt and a fighter and, uh, it, it's it's I can't do I can't watch anyway. I'm not going to sit and just you know I'm going to get out there and be a partner and give them a body to beat up on and work with and practice on because that's what you do as a team. You know. Mm-hmm. So um, yeah, I don't see MMA like that. I don't see MMA in the same manner. I don't think there's and I don't think there's any uh, I don't think there's any uh, clinical evidence that you that demonstrates. Uh, the same rate of injury and the same intensity of injury for MMA versus football. Right. Right. And until they produce that until they produce that, I I would, I would, and and again, intuitively just for my own sense of uh, observation and experience, I also don't see it. I don't see that kind of injury. I just see basic soft tissue injury. Oh, pulled hamstring. Oh, my lower back. Oh, my this. But spinal injuries, you know, real serious impact injuries. No, very, very rarely. I mean, it can happen. I'm not saying it can't, but so can getting in your car. I'm not, I don't think that's the same.
1: <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. No, I think that makes sense. And so when does yoga and meditation start to enter your life?
0: Uh, yoga specifically, when I was in my 20s, I met a girl. She was a yoga practitioner when I lived in California in Los Angeles. Meditation very early, 12 years old. With wow. martial. I found meditation with martial arts because that was part of the archetype. You know, if you watch Kung Fu theater, you know, every, every master... Meditated, you know that's what you did. You, you'd sit, and that in itself was a discipline. You sat, and you controlled the mind, mm-hmm. and through controlling the mind, you controlled the body. So, it was implied that they were really one thing. I could never see them as oh, you meditate, and that has nothing to do with martial arts. Oh, and you meditate, oh, it has nothing to do with yoga, because both. Practices are, are practices of self-discovery and contemplation of self and of the, of the origin of self, the intention of self, the material construction of self, like what am I, who am I, what am I, why am I? These are all questions that you ask through that practice. And those questions are relevant for martial artists and they're relevant for yogis. And I say yogis is in people who are genuinely committed to a practice of self-discovery.
1: Mm-hmm. Right.
0: Doing yoga as, I mean, it's like saying you can go do martial arts and it, and it, and it, and it is the same that, that, that every practice is the same or that every, you know, every style or system or approach is the same and they're not, they're all different. Yeah. Now, and they all produce something different. Mm-hmm.
1: Right, right. And so talk to me about how, how all of this led you to becoming the bodyguard for Charlie Sheen. Your experience yeah. in martial arts and, and all of that.
0: Yeah, you know, as, as a kid, I started, you know, training in the martial arts in Charlotte. I met a young guy. He uh, was a comedian. His name was Carrot Top. He works in Las Vegas now. He's still a relatively popular uh, comedian. He's a, he's 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 a funny funny character. He asked me to be his bodyguard, go on the road with him, and and work with him because he lived in Charlotte as well at the time. So I started kind of doing that, and then I met a friend. We went to Los Angeles. I met a friend there. We be, he took me to uh, well. Took me to an uh, a club called On the Rocks. On the Rocks was a very famous club in Los Angeles that was frequented by big movie stars at that time who would go there and party. Charlie was one of them. Okay. Um, Hugh Hefner, Playboy Mansion. I mean, it was just a very. It was just like you know, it was, it was a thing everybody went to. Johnny Depp, every, you know, everybody went there. Um, and I met Rick Calamara there, and Rick was friends with Charlie. Rick introduced me to Charlie um, and he said, you got to meet this kid. He's really talented. And Charlie asked me to show him a couple things and I showed him a couple things and he was like, okay, I like, I like what you, what you're doing. He's like, I, I, it just so happens that I have an opening. I, I, you know, I'm in between personal assistant slash, you know, I like to have my personal assistants be my security and also like try to get somebody who can do personal training, security, personal assistant work, kind of like an all-in-one kind of guy. You know what I mean? Yeah. Somebody he could travel with who could fill these roles. So I was really ideal for that. I'm not a big guy. I don't stand out. I don't look like a bodyguard. I'm not intimidating. I don't draw attention. I'm intelligent. I can solve problems. I'm capable, and you know, and I'm likable as a human being because I like human beings. And that made <laughs> it. That was it. You know that, and he was like, great. And I moved in with him and lived in his home for a year. Uh, it was a very, very long year. so a very, very. You know, in, incredible, intense experience, but.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So how was, how was that experience like for you?
0: Uh, Well, there were a lot of discoveries. I was a 21, 23. I don't know how old I was anymore. year old kid who was learning about, you know, life living with a multi-millionaire, you know, crazy you know like genius savant um i mean you have to understand something about charlie he's charlie's incredibly gifted you know sometimes we wonder why people are where they are or sometimes we don't wonder at all we just see them where they are and we go oh i judge this i judge that you have to understand you have to understand why charlie's charlie sheen he's not charlie sheen by accident he's charlie sheen because he's a genius and he's also tormented and he also has these incredible, um, cognitive distortions about the world, you know, the way he can see things can be very black and white and, you know, and also he can see things in incredible colors and and incredible, you know, um, degrees, Uh, you know, he can see things in, in, in degrees. I mean, he's an artist. He's, capable of seeing a lot of things. But then he's also got these blind spots. And those blind spots are the things that cause you to suffer. And when you suffer, you typically want to get out of suffering. And an easy way to get out of suffering is using drugs. Because you can change your mental state, your you know, psychosomatic state, you can physically feel better and then mentally feel better for a period of time and you know drugs provide that and when people are in a lot of discomfort and pain that's a very quick and easy fix when they're either not doing therapy or they've never they or they will not they will not do therapy they have not or they will not and so and again Therapy is like taking the stairs, and drugs are like getting in the elevator, and that's a very different. It's a very different ride to the top. It's you know hard, and the stairs are, you know, stairs are incredibly um, um, demanding and difficult and unrewarding. I mean, you know, you just your legs are burning, you're out of breath, you can't see the end it's hard you have to stop mm-hmm. you have to you have to talk yourself into going again. you know just <laughs> imagine, imagine going to a, to the top of a 100 story building taking the stairs i mean it's going to be a grind it's not going to be easy it's not going to be fun it's going to be a grind or you're going to take the elevator and you're there man maybe you know so maybe a 3 minute ride up maybe not even that and you're at the top And you can take the stairs and it's probably going to take you an hour. And real time in terms of relative time, as Einstein said, that hour hour is going to feel like years because you're suffering. And then there's that elevator ride that's going to feel like it's over before it started because there's no suffering at all. It's pleasant and that's just how we experience you know pleasure and pain and how we relate to it right you know? and that, that that's how i would translate that over to the, the previous question
1: right yeah and with that with that analogy i guess the the elevator ride you there's always the the come down right From the from the drugs and the alcohol, whereas whereas therapy, there's, um, if you commit to it,
0: it's Mm -hmm. even. Yeah, there's not so much of a spike either direction, so you do get a more even ride, but it's an even trajectory up. So it it kind of it's it looks a little flat, but if you back out. And you, and you expand the timeline, you start to see the line, of course, moving upward, as, a, as opposed to moving horizontally, or you know, you know, straight across, it's both are horizontal in a way, but there's a horizontal vertical happening there in the elevator, and there's just pure horizontal happening typically with, with – uh, 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 excuse me. So uh, when you – the elevator, and I know that you already understand this, but I'm going to say it again in a different way too. The elevator, it, there's no problem to solve. You understand? There's just no problem to solve. You just get on, you push a button, you go. And with the, right. stair, and with the stairs, problems keep coming up. They keep arising. Uh, the problem of I don't have enough energy, the problem of my body isn't uh, isn't conditioned for this, the problem with I'm mentally not durable enough to keep, keep going. So because no problems arise, there's no growth. And if you want that horizontal vertical, you need problems to solve. And you need to back out and look at the expanded or extended timeline. And then you can see like, when people say, Man, you know, humans matter so much. And then you look at a timeline with humans versus how long the earth has been in existence, and you go, Wow, um we literally, literally just walked into the party. You know, party's been going on, and we just we just fucking arrived. We are so we are so incredibly insignificant in in you know for the earth in every possible way and i and i mean that in the sense that if humans of course died tomorrow it would literally have no effect on the planet other than the interference we we create with its general health
1: yeah it would likely be a positive effect <laughs> 100% <laughs> yeah right and Other than maybe don't do drugs, what was the biggest uh, lesson or takeaway that you took from that experience with Charlie Sheen?
0: Well, you know, I also don't, you know, I don't believe in not doing drugs either. Um, Believe, don't believe, you know, every person needs to experience things because it's part of their discovery process. And some people discover themselves through cocaine, through alcohol, through uh, psychotropics, and some people don't. You know you can discover a lot of things about yourself that really inform who you are through those things. So I, I'm not really against them or for them? I mean, do I think they're necessary to achieve the goal? No. Do I think psychotropics, psilocybin, ayahuasca, peyote, do I think that plant medicines can contribute to big breakthroughs? Yes, I do. Do I think they can create the opportunity for an accelerated breakthrough? Yes, I do. So I, I would not say that I think that plant medicine is, because it is like an elevator. To suggest that it does not have its place in the development of consciousness would not be accurate. I, don't, I, do, not, I do not see it that way. I see it as all things have their place because they are, they exist. So if mushrooms grow wild, they're there to be eaten. And if cannabis grows wild, it's there to be eaten. Is it there, you know, you know, do, should we eat it every day? Should we grow it every day? Probably, probably not. But only because that's not occurring naturally, typically that you would see any animal consuming a psychotropic on a daily basis, that might not be something that makes sense in that manner. Do I understand why people use psycho-altering plant medicines? Yes, because the world is a shit show and it's not natural. And because it's not natural, you can imagine why a person would, want to escape from this artificial reality to enjoy a reality that feels more authentic because you know when you're high from some either any plant medicine there's a certain frequency that you tune into that really doesn't it really doesn't matter whether you're interacting with your dog or a poem or, or possibly a book or 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 you're digging in the ground planting vegetables you know or you're you know you're i mean the point is there's something about psychotropics and, mind altering substances that make everything understandable and everything. It it helps us create order and understanding around really everything. It can, it can be that, that experience for sure. You can be like, ah, okay, I get it. You do sort of drop out of this in a way, this state of, Judging witness who's or that's probably actually not accurate to say not the judging witness, but the judging object of the subject of the witness. So in other words, you identify as the person you know, I'm the dad, I'm the mom, I'm the person doing this, I'm the police officer, I'm the rioter. I'm, I'm identifying as one of these characters, these archetypes, and I get really caught into that character. And I'm no longer able to see that that's just an archetype. That There is really just a homo sapien underneath that uniform. There's just a homo sapien when you take away law, order, social structure. You just drop five of us on on an island together. We're just five homo sapiens on an island trying to now cooperate to eat and live. There's no sheriff. There's no bad guy. There's no, there, you know, there's no robbers. There's no cops. You know, all that stuff is. Those are those are these are all uh, mental, cognitive constructs that we create in order to try to find a place to be, and, and to identify as. Oh, I am this guy, and I am that guy. And that helps us. And, 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 and plant medicines can help break some of that really rigid structure away so we can see ourselves in a more full and complete way as a human being, not as a police officer, not as a rioter, not as, you know, a mom, not as, a, oh, I'm, I'm a BJJ world champion. That's, that's what I am. That's all I am. I'm an MMA world champion. That's, that's how I identify myself. It's like, well, you could identify yourself really as a human who happens right. The box. You also yeah. happen to, you know, I happen to move. But my, my center of gravity, my anchor point is I'm a homo sapien. And I always keep coming back to that center of gravity.
1: Yeah, yeah. I think that's super important to kind of not identify yourself with, with being one thing. Or like if you're, say, working in an office environment and I had this experience where I identified myself so strongly with the last company that I worked at that when I left, it felt like it stripped away essentially my identity. So I can definitely, definitely appreciate, appreciate that. And, and I've also heard particularly with ayahuasca, how it can accelerate the self-discovery process, like you said. So have you, have you tried any of these, psychotrop psychotropics or ayahuasca
0: yeah i think the the better question is what uh what psychotropics have i not tried okay <laughs> um, i been i've been yeah i've been i've been eating plant medicine and working with psychotropics since i was uh 18 19 years old so i was pretty young when i started exploring um, you know plant medicine so, yeah, it's been, a, it's been a long, fascinating journey. Learned a lot about myself through the process. I mean, I couldn't imagine who I would be if it were not for many of those moments in those journeys. They, right. helped, me, they helped me to arrive at the person that I am currently becoming and changing into on a daily basis. It's just it. It's all about what's informing the me that's always becoming. I'm always becoming. I'm not. I have not become. So the man that I'm becoming is always influenced and informed by those experiences with psychotropics.
1: Sure. Right. And after your experience working as bodyguard with with Charlie Sheen, you got the opportunity to uh, meet meet Chris Tucker and be the fight scene coordinator for Rush Hour 1 and 2, and then after that became the personal trainer for A-list celebrities like Jennifer Aniston and and others. So with this life that looked probably looked really amazing to people from the outside, were there things that you didn't really enjoy about it kind of on the inside that people may not have seen?
0: Ooh, yeah, I mean, you know, I didn't enjoy... I didn't enjoy the general population that I, you know, became, that I became related to, you know, you know, whatever you're in relation to is what sort of feeding you. That's your nutrients. And I didn't really like the the general population of the film industry, Hollywood, you know. it's you know i find it to be a very superficial business i also find it to be um not just superficial but this i feel like because people were constantly jockeying for position who do you know? Who do you want to know? Who do you need to know? What do you got to do? Who, you, you know, who do you work for? Where are you going? Um, I found that that was, it was so shallow and I'm not shallow. I'm, I'm, I, 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 I thrive on the, the richness and the, the constant discovery of what I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. And I didn't find that was the kind of individual that I was in relationship with so I, I was not inspired there. Some of those people exist. And uh, the, the ones that did for the most part, I tried to work with or, or connect myself to. And, you know, but, you know, it's just, there's just so few artists in that industry. I mean, if you take somebody like a Daniel Day-Lewis, you know, he does so few films. When he does a film, it's usually something iconic right that's why he's not he's not you know one of these young um i mean you could say oh he's not a brad pitt but you know honestly brad pitt takes a lot of really fun roles too he's a very interesting actor he's a very interesting um uh you know artist in his own way and he's you know he's 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 very good at Creating a landscape for a character, and vibe. So, you know, him, DiCaprio, those guys like they're 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 outstanding. But then you've got like you know again, you've got people that are more just famous. They're celebrities. They're, they're, they haven't, they haven't really done anything to, you know, to really deserve, um, to deserve being celebrated you know, the, the term celebrity is you're celebrated at its core. But why, why do we celebrate people that really don't contribute anything that's important or essential or necessary to the human experience when what would be necessary is things that grow us, change us, inspire us, provoke us to think. That's what art is. And I would really debate how much art is being produced and has been produced by a lot of the current celebrities out there. (laughs) I would debate the point.
1: Yeah. It's, uh, I think what you might be, uh, or one of the things you kind of might be, I don't know, beating around the bush there, or it's kind of like this Insta fame or like this Instagram model, sort of, sort of famous, if that, I don't know, was that be kind of one one instance that you might be thinking of?
0: Yeah, I mean I didn't have that in particular in mind, but you know, Instafame is certainly one of the most common, you know. I mean it's certainly a modern pandemic in and of itself. It's you know, it's a huge cultural disconnect. It's 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 it's, it's And I say disconnect because the entire, when you, when you have, when you have, when you have people that can become celebrated without needing to connect to something meaningful and important, something, you know, you have to connect, you know, it used to be that you would have to be connected to something, your music, Had to be connected to something. Your your paint, your your paintings, your poetry, your whatever had to be connected. And now, what what is really the connection? It's it's you know what I mean. The 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 rooting is so superficial. Right. You know, compared to, and that's why the Beatles are like a fucking you know redwood with the root system. You know, who knows how deep it goes. And that's what it is. It's like a band like that is one of the last great, great, you know, trees on the planet that, that is, is the wind is just not going to blow this thing over. Then you've got all these guys who just like plant it in the superficial soil, you know, with the little shallow, these little shallow things that they produce. And I mean, what do they, you know, what, what, what do they do? What are they, what are they leaving? When the, when the, when the wind comes, when the storms come, when the weather comes, they're just going to be forgotten as they should be because they didn't do the work. And that's the case of instant celebrity. It's like being, it's like instant wealth. It's the same problem. You shouldn't, no one needs to become instantly wealthy. You need to learn how to, Build wealth, manage wealth, build wealth, manage wealth. Not just be given a bunch of wealth because sh- nine times out of 10, you'll mismanage it and lose it. And then you won't know how to regain it because you didn't learn how to get it the first time. You know, s- Silliness. Yeah. Yeah. Right.
1: Let's move to Budokan now and, uh, and movement. So when did the inspiration come for you to start Budokan?
0: uh i was really looking to you know i was doing a lot of private teaching and i was like you yeah, know i really want to teach something that's very much what you know this is what matters to me it's what's it's it's i see that in the yoga community it feels quite shallow martial arts community feels quite shallow i want to build something that develops a person in a in a complete way you know not just one particular line of development, which is just physical. I'm not looking to just develop the physical. I mean, with every developmental line, there are gonna be some, cro- some crossing, um, and there's gonna, what I'm trying to say is every line of development in some way has a relationship to every other line of development. So you can develop physically, but that doesn't mean you're going to be developed at the same level emotionally, nor does it mean you'll be developed at the same level um, artistically, you know, sexually. Um, With that said, you know, you're really looking You're just really looking to understand how we develop as a person and look at martial arts and say, what does martial arts mostly focus on? And then ask yourself, okay, and what does yoga mostly focus on? Well, depends on how you understand it. (laughs) Right. Depending on the yoga you practice, depending on your teacher. So there's a lot of yoga teachers and practices that don't focus enough, in my opinion on what I think is the core value of yoga, which is self-discovery. There's not enough martial artists to practice what I think is the most important part of martial arts, which is self-discovery. I, I want to be great, and I need to be great, at defending myself and other people. I need to be great at fighting. It's what I claim to do. I'm, I'm, if I call myself a martial artist, I should be legitimately capable. If I call myself a yoga practitioner, I should be legitimately capable. From a physical standpoint as a martial artist, I should be capable of combat. From a physical standpoint of a yogi, I should be capable of physical awareness of my body, how to stretch it, heal it, recover it, and move it psychologically, or mentally, with martial arts, I should be able to sort of sustain the qualities of a martial artist, which, in my opinion, again, my opinion, leadership, durability, courage, you know, these these qualities that sort of make the, the kind of qualities that occur, they're very masculine where you make things happen. You, you're actually at cause for things. And then yoga practice is not being at cause, but rather sitting and being quiet and still and listening. It's listening versus talking. Yeah metaphorically Mm yoga is about listening. Martial arts is about speaking. Now there are times when you listen in martial arts and there are times you speak in yoga, but the general, the general intention of yoga is to sit, be still, observe, witness, what arises and comes up and then you decide what you do with that martial arts it's about sort of making something happen it's 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 very it's forward it's i'm trying to change that which can be changed versus yoga i'm just working to accept that which cannot be changed and that which must be accepted Mm -hmm.
1: yeah that's that's really interesting so It sounds like you were kind of looking for this holistic approach to self-discovery and that that kind of wasn't out there for you.
0: Well, I say it to this day, there's still no martial arts, yogic arts, um, hybrid, uh, psychosomatic focused system like Budokan. It's still, there's, I have no competition in that way. I have no, I have no peer, I have no peers in my, in my line of work. I, I'm the only person that does exactly what I do mm-hmm. and that's just as it is. So when people think that someone like Ito is, you know, or they'll see something over there like animal flow or they'll see some things and they'll go, Oh, these are your peers. These are not my peers. I don't do, I don't do what they do. Mm-hmm. You know, I, 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 there are people that do what they do. You know, there are people that in fact do teach movement pure movement, and circus acrobatics, you know, they, they do. And then there are people over there that do teach fitness-oriented, calisthenics style you know, movements. i That's not what I do. I teach movement as one pillar in a six-pillar system. Now, and, and it's one of the six pillars. The other pillars are development, lines that have nothing to physically they don't have anything to do with physical movement they have everything to do with mental movement they they correl, they correlate with these only when they come together as an example if one of my developmental lines is environmental consciousness how i take care of the planet the earth around me my environment okay I look at that line and I say, well, where does that line, you know, intersect with movement? Well, when I'm picking up trash, (laughs) you know, when I'm physically feeling capable and strong in order to uphold my belief system around taking care of the garbage. So when I go clean up the beach, that's when my physical and my, you know, developmental line around care for the earth. Maybe they intersect at that time, but they're mostly running parallel to one another. You know what I mean?
1: Yeah, that's, it's interesting. It's, it's kind of like an example, I guess you can maybe give for what you said in, um, in the Budokan documentary on your website where you said kind of movement using movement as a way of examining mind. And I think that
0: that's, 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 that's what it is. Yeah. At the end of the day, my objective is to, is to develop, is to create work that allows a person to discover how to genuinely become. The, the, it gives him a path, a formula to continue to work with, in the process of becoming an extraordinary human being to, to becoming a person who is, you know, is, is living in a fully self-expressed manner in every sector of their lives, not just in the way they move. Now I'm, you know, and, and, and you might say that, Oh, well, you know, if, if I'm, if I'm like, if I'm like, you and I'm like, Oh, but you know, movement is going to, it's going to bring those other things to life. No, it's not that's not true nor if i'm if i'm someone who is purely focused on the world of psychology and i claim that that doing therapy is going to make everything it's going to heal everything and make everything right for me is that's not true either because now i'm neglecting the physical body and i'm neglecting something right. that crucial so it's the intersection of the two that makes this and then the integration so the intersection and integration of the two that makes the process complete so you know you hyper focus on movement you get a bunch of people that that think they're that think you know that that's the cool shit and that's what they do and they're like look how good I move look how cool I move look how cool I am I move I move look I'm the coolest mover who gives a fuck? <laughs> like really, who gives a fuck? And then you got the other person here. Look how smart I am, look how intellectual I am, look how woke I am, look how, <laughs> how well I can debate, and I can sort of, you know, I can dissect and understand. And it's like, yeah, but so what? You're a dick.
1: <laughs> right.
0: You know? It's it's really all about figuring out where you how you develop and 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 as those cross and then creating these. turn these intersections into integrations. And that's what Budokan is. So it's to suggest that this is what other people do, quote, unquote, that I'm in that field. I just happen to be, you know, in, in, in the field of teaching movement education as one language, you know, in the entire, in in my, because, because I teach many languages, we teach five languages at our school just in movement alone. You know, mobility and yoga and calisthenics and Brazilian uh, uh, jiu-jitsu and striking. They're five; those are five movement languages just in, in and of themselves. And then we also have then all of our other, you know, our, our cognit, our cognitive work, all the cognitive restructuring work we do, and that's all done through self-examination. And it's done not necessarily at the time of movement, though it can intersect. So to say, you know, a lot of people confuse me with those guys. And I'm like, that's right. not what I, do. and is I don't, and it's not to say that what they do isn't great. I have no, that's, that's not really my, my argument. My argument is I don't do what they do. They don't do what I do. And, and, that's great. You know, uh, you know, Picasso wasn't, you know, wasn't Matisse and Matisse wasn't Mendigliani and, you know, just so on and so on. So every artist, you know, or or creator does their own thing and the level, you know, the, the measurement of the, of the level at which that artist creates is determined ultimately by the public. You know, at the end of the day, the critics and the public and the consumer decides what your worth is. I mean, I can tell you I'm amazing and nobody buys, you know, nobody (laughs) buys my paintings. You know what I mean? I can tell you I'm the best artist ever and no one. And again, maybe I am, maybe I'm not. But in a relative manner, the reality is, is that the consumer determines your worth in a society. Right. It's always been that way. If we, there was 50 of us in a village and you make shoes and I make shoes and my shoes are just fucking amazing. Everybody wants to wear my shoes in the village and nobody wants to wear your shoes. And you're gonna be like, my shoes, you know, this is absurd. All shoes are equal. Well, apparently not. You know, apparently they're not all equal and that's just how (laughs) life is.
1: Yeah yeah that there was a there was a lot there um but what's really fascinating about about that to me is this idea of like a like i probably mentioned it before a couple of times but this personalized holistic approach to helping people become the extraordinary version of themselves is super super interesting to me and kind of my own process of of self-discovery and figuring figuring out that it's not just like you said going through the path of discovery and that's going to solve all your problems or going through the path of meditation and and yoga and that'll solve all your problems and through my own kind of journey these last 6 months it's i've kind of like through trial and error it figured out it's this like you said it's this personalized kind of holistic approach so yeah, I gotta get gotta get down to your academy once once uh once the dust settles.
0: <laughs> well, um, we're actually creating we're we've got our Budokan Academy in Miami, and we're creating the Budokan um, Training Center in Montana, which is going to be a training facility there. Um, big um, ranch, five acre ranch, and so we'll be sort of focusing you know, our attention on that area and what you can get done up there. So it's going to, you know, we're, we're, we're definitely, um, good. We're definitely a great home for people who are in process of self-discovery. They're like on that path. They're very interested in it. They're, you know, they're they're That's what's, that's what's on your mind. We're a great, we're a great layover for that great visit for Mm -hmm. you, you know, on that, on that journey you know because we won't be the last thing you do we might not be the first thing you do but you know, sure. we'll, we'll be one of the things that will be one of the things that makes a difference for sure
1: mm-hmm. yeah do you think one can attempt to ascertain certain traits or behaviors of an individual of an individual based on that person's movement history
0: let me let me try this question you're asking me do i think i can determine how a person moves based on their their history of movement
1: yeah or maybe like how they their, how they kind of see the world based on maybe their what past be- athletic endeavors
0: oh i mean i can i can tell you a lot about a person by watching them move yeah but that's not necessarily, listen, not movement history, it's movement present. You know, I, I mean, I just, I can get a person on the floor and work with them for five minutes, 10 minutes, and I can tell you a lot about them. If you think about it, the longer I work with a person, the more I can tell you about them. Just, just movement work. I don't have to go deep into their psychology right I can tell who they are by working with them and uh, just just the way they show up and the way they hold space as a student as they learn so I think you can tell a lot about a person by the way they do anything physical 100% the way they express Mm -hmm. themselves physically there's a tremendous transparency and vulnerability to movement you can see so much
1: yeah 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 i would agree and you also mentioned that Budokan looks at movement as a 360 degrees of possibility um, instead of something linear let's say running or or cycling maybe kind of lay out the benefits of this more holistic approach to movement and kind of what those benefits have over more linear, linear forms of movement.
0: Hmm. Well, I'm going to just say this in a very simple, direct way because it doesn't need a lot of unpacking or deconstruction. It's self Evident. If you move your body in all of its potential ranges, with all of its potential power, with all of its potential cardiovascular effort and cardiovascular potential itself, you can discover what is possible And if you only move your body across certain planes at certain angles, and only articulate the joints to certain degrees, you're only going to get what you get from that. And that's if you if you explore the if you explore fifty percent of the body's potential range, you get fifty percent of what you can you know you can get fifty percent potentialized. If you explore 100% or, or 80%, you get 80% potentialized. So it's just a matter of very simple mathematics. You know, my shoulder, you know, let's just say my shoulder, out of 100% of its range, I'm exploring you know, 60%. Then that's what I get, I get 60% of its potential. So at the end of the day, the reason that, that Budokan works so beautifully as a tool is because it purposefully explores full range in many different ways, it explores full range in yoga, it explores full range in mobility, it explores full range in calisthenics, it explores full range in combat. So it's just it, it's 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 expressing full range along many different lines quadrants, you know, d- different places. It's not just one line, mm-hmm. if that makes sense.
1: It does, yeah, 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 that, that's, that's clear. And how, or why, or why does Budokan allow for greater longevity for people who are involved in martial arts?
0: I mean, I, look, I don't have any empirical data or evidence that says... Budokan makes you last longer than Taekwondo. My theory is that the combination of restorative and destructive, because, I mean, there's a certain amount of destruction that just comes along with athletic activity. Sure. You You destroy, and then you restore. And you destroy, and you restore so so as as an expert in my field, I'm just gonna tell you from experience that I have witnessed and I've experienced through my own body that the combination of restoration and destruction is necessary, the combination. So when you see people just destroying, you know, and, and then they wonder why they're not unable to do jujitsu at fifty. Or at 60, or whatever, and their body's just, you know, they get too many injuries, too much discomfort. And it's simply because they didn't understand how to restore their body or how to even move in a way that sustained the body. So that you prevent injury before it occurs. Because jujitsu jitsu is all about predictability. I have to predict what you're going to do before you do it, and I catch you. Or I put you in a position where you can only do A or B. And I have an answer for what you do. And I'm like, oh, you're gonna go A? Then this is what I'm gonna do. Oh, you're going B? This is what I'm gonna do. And that, you know, that predictability is it's very powerful. And with restoration of the joints, you have a certain, you can predict a certain degree what things injure you and what things don't how you move in what directions and what what kinds of power you need there's a lot of predictability there that you can apply like a mathematic like a mathematician and in and, and, and that gives you the ability to be out in front of the problem so budokan is about being out in front of the problem not behind the problem that's that's something that someone with uh, no offense, but someone with lesser developed intellect might be doing and I don't, you know and i 'm not saying that i 'm not judging a person i 'm just telling you it's it 's less intelligent to fuck up your body and then try to figure out how to fix it than it is to be in a process of prevent of prevention and, and, and care so that you know and, and again. I'm sorry, but that's just how life is. Some people are smarter than other people. Some right. people, some people simply use their intellect in a in a more skillful way than others. Just like some people move in a more skillful way than others, it's the same thing. And that's why you pay people. You know, do you pay? You know, say you, you blow out your knee. Who do you do, do you pay the surgeon who's done a thousand knee injure, You know, knee knee surgeries. And has an incredible record. And has worked on, you know, athletes. Or do you pay this person over here, you know, who's fucked up a few and gotten a few right and was okay? <laughs> you know, who do you go to? You go to that guy. So to say that we're not biased, of course we're biased, and of course we're even biased towards our, our towards intellectual uh, prowess, intellectual muscle. You know, Budokan is just smart. I'm sorry. I, I'm not going to apologize. You know, if, you know, you're arrogant. Oh, you're suggesting that this is better than... No, I'm not. It's just one path. But it, to uh-huh. ask me, if, it's, if is it an intelligent path? Yes, because I'm intelligent. That does, and, and what's wrong with being intelligent? You know, what's wrong with, what's wrong with acknowledging you're intelligent? You know, I, I don't think I'm Einstein. But like Einstein said... It's not that I'm that smart. I just stick with a problem longer than most people. And so, so I know how to use intelligence. I know how to be intelligent. I'm not always intelligent. I make mistakes. And I look back and I go, Jesus, that was not intelligent. <laughs> I did not think through that. And I mm-hmm. didn't. I just emotionally reacted. Or, yeah. I was, or I used emotion as a reasoning you know, agent. It's, that's all.
1: Yeah, yeah. And I think we've probably touched on this here and there already, but say someone comes to you and they ask, Hey Cameron, I'm looking to uh, really transform my life. Or they come to you and say, I really looking to accelerate my growth and become kind of my extraordinary self. How can Budokan help me?
0: Well, I mean, you can, you can talk those you know you can lay those types of guarantees down on paper and say, "Oh I guarantee it does this and I guarantee it does that." It's kind of like saying to a to a person, you know oh, well what how does healthy eating benefit me?" <laughs> you know it's like t- yeah, talk me into it how does how does eating healthy change my life? I'm like, hey, man, you know what honestly i I'm not I'm not invested in whether you eat well or not. I'm I'm invested in the person who wants to eat well. And I can explain to you why eating well can transform you physically. And that's not unfair to ask for it, you know, to be explained. Nor is it unfair to ask why Buddha Khan will, but I just want to acknowledge the fact that sometimes we don't want to discover things. Even if our intuition says, you know what, that's interesting. I should do that. And you're like, but you know what? No, I want to know why I should do it. I want to be talked into it. I want to intellectually be convinced that I'm supposed to do this rather than just listen to my intuition. Something about me says, that's interesting to me. I need to go there. But instead of doing it, what we do is we then, of course, get into some type of uh, internal dialogue or a conversation where we then have to persuade ourselves to do something because it has these benefits and it has this. It's like, you know, I can't imagine a time when a student looked at a martial arts master and said, tell me why I should learn from you. Tell me why I should study under you. Tell me what you're going to do for me. Tell me what your system, how it's going to be. It's like, you know, I think that's probably one of the great blind spots of this modern era is that we want to be commercially convinced. We want to be commercially coerced into consumption because that's the model we use on one another on a daily basis so here's what i say to people um if you want to move like me then you apparently have already seen me move and if you are interested in what i do and how i you know and and how i produce what i produce then you're just going to simply have to show up and start doing the work because it's up to you to do the investigation. It's up to you to put in the uh, legwork up front to determine whether or not what you see is of enough interest. If it's, if it's inspiring enough, if it's, if it's igniting something in you, if it is, that's enough for you to go, and begin your journey and i'm not saying how, i'm not suggesting that you go you know completely all in day 1 it's like meeting a great girl and you ask her to marry her on the first day i'm not suggesting that i'm suggesting that you should at least ask her out and not tell her why not sit down with her and say tell me why i should date you <laughs> Yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, I don't even know if it's not, you know, I can explain it, mm-hmm. you know, but that'd be like the girl sitting there and going, well, right. um, I'm dedicated. I work hard. I'm intelligent. I, <laughs> I fuck well. I mean, you know, I mean, sh- I can do it all. <laughs> I mean, I cook, I can cook a gourmet meal. I mean, you know, sure, if you want the, <laughs> uh, but, but at the end of the day, I'm, I'm just suggesting, isn't that... Yeah. Of, isn't that one of our sort of lesser, um, lesser developed current cultural ways in which we approach something? We want to, we want to, we want to be, you know, talked into it. We want to be convinced. We want to be sold. You know, there's a lot of options out there. You know, there are a lot of choices. And I want to know why I should work with you. And I'm like, you know what? You should fuck off and not work with me and go work with Portel or go work with fucking animal. I don't give a fuck where you go work, you know, at the end of the day, because that's just the truth. I really don't care. You know, that's, uh-huh. the, that's probably one of the reasons you should date me is I really don't give a fuck. And that's what, at the end of the day, is part of my bizarre charm is I give a fuck not giving a fuck. <laughs> you know? it's it's there's a very fine line there it's like if i'm not for you don't worry i'm not going to lose sleep over it right if you're not you know don't, no don't worry there won't be any love loss and there won't be any loss of sleep if you decide we're not a good match you know but but if you're asking me to convince you and i'm not saying you i'm saying the person's asking me to convince them you mm-hmm. know i'm like you know i have a website for that it's got a lot of text on it i've got videos uh, you know but really what you the people who've done the work can really see they can they look they see and they go okay yeah yeah this is this is it this is it this is the work this this is this is my next path this is my last path is whatever they know yeah it's, it's the people that i actually do have to explain you know constantly be you know carrying, you know and and, and and cheerleading those are the people that actually perform the worst mm-hmm. they get the least out of the work yeah they'll just do that with anybody it doesn't matter if it's me or if it's that guy or that girl it doesn't make any difference
1: yeah. Yeah. And after watching some demos and different Budokan videos on your website it's all you know very very impressive but to someone who's potentially a beginner athlete or beginner mover let's say what how would you ap- approach teaching them something like Budokan if they're maybe not the most ath- athletic or flexible person?
0: Well the first thing you have to understand is what you're witnessing is the work I mean look if 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 I was a kid watching the gymna- watching the, the Olympics and I saw a gold medal gymnast you know hit a you know hit a horse and vault in the air and do three rotations and a twist and a whatever and land you know, in my mind if i thought to myself oh my goodness how am i going to learn that <laughs> it's like like that's you know no nobody would ever start gymnastics you know mm-hmm. it's got to be when you witness level high level work you have to be you have to really be okay with understanding that there is a, there's an entire subfloor holding all that structure up and that's where you'll begin you know we don't i teach people yoga before i teach them as an example mobility because yoga is an easier language to learn they might learn it at the same time but they will definitely learn yoga because they have to understand structure and foundation and then we stack on top of that
1: yeah yeah that uh that makes sense
0: Start with the most base language. Yeah. Movement is a language. So start with the most base movement language and then work your way up in complexity until you mm-hmm. get to combat, which is the most complex.
1: Yeah, that makes sense. Do you, do you believe that the traditional office environment of sitting at a desk from nine to five or in some cases longer has a negative, a negative effect on our maybe overall anatomical development?
0: I, not, our, not our anatomical development. Um, oh, well, yes. If you're talking about a child sitting at a, sitting at a table excessively, you know, for, for, for excessive periods of time, for years and years and years, and then transitioning into... a Adult and into an office and doing the same thing again. Yes, I think it. I think it has a terrible effect on the body's overall structure and, and architecture. For obvious reasons, mm-hmm. because it's not being again used at its full range, or expressed at its full range, expressed with its full cardiovascular potential, or its full muscular endurance potential, or its full strength potential it's full range. I mean nothing nothing's being expressed. It is full range so or it's full potential. So yes, of course that would that would interfere with the development of a person if you if it started at a very young age and I just kept doing it. And that, that certainly is the that is the uh, case for many, many, many people. For sure. So one of the worst things you can do is is subjugate subjugate your children to that type of environment or yourself to that type of environment where you say, I'm just going to become a self, I'm going to impose self-inflicted slavery to this, you know, to this scenario. I'm just going to stick myself in it and stick my children in it. And that's just how we're going to do it. All bad ideas. Really, all, all just really bad ideas. And we see the current, we, you know, we see the current result. It, it makes people dull. And if you like dull humans, then there's, you know, there's a, there's a global epidemic. You know, coronavirus, COVID-19, it, it, it preys on, on that kind of individual, that dull that, dull, that person whose immune system is dull, their health is dull, their general fitness is dull they're, you know they're, and of course they're they're a, they're very vulnerable to dying from that disease because it's already it's it's preying on an already compromised immune system immunity to what to everything around you, which is already at a high. You know, your immune system's already working enough if you live in the average city. Then you tack on obesity, uh, stress, uh, unhappiness, um, you know, consumption of concentrated chemicals, white sugar, white flour, white salt, white people. You (laughs) You can create all kinds of Distortions, yes. I, I, you know, any type of concentration. And I say white people because it's comical, but it's true. The less culturally diverse we are, the less we understand one another, the less we have empathy for each other. So consumption of just one thing, concentrated, just the black community, when it's just consuming too much blackness. When the white can is when the white community is consuming too much whiteness. When the Asian communities consuming too much Asian, it's the fucking same, it's overconsumption of a concentrate, which is fine, as long as you don't get exposed to anything else, and as soon as, you know, <laughs> a black person shows, everybody's like, whoa, 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 what's that mean, you know, and all this, you know, so you need to be able to, you know, relate and understand complexity, rather than just being, you know, being sort of the slave to simplicity.
1: Yeah, yeah,
0: that's and that's that. that's pretty. That's that, my friend. <laughs> so, do you have any other any other final thoughts uh, on this uh, on this conversation? Anything that you you were you were not complete on that you had on your list?
1: So, what does your daily routine look like? And let's do pre pandemic.
0: Um, I used to train three four hours a day. Normally, but again, my job is movement, so that's easy for me to do. That not everyone has that privilege or that luxury. Um, I did, in fact, create that privilege. However, I do want to note that. that I, I, That's not, that didn't just make itself occur. Um, so I would say that moving quite a bit, um, but in my current reality, I run several business. You know, we have several. We have Budokan Online, Budokan Teacher Training Online. We have Budokan Academy. We have Budokan University. So we have a lot of different platforms that we run. So I have a good bit of work that I do, and then I train. So I do my physical body of work. Um, you know, on a daily, you want to meditate if you can. Uh, I've gone through stages where I was more consistent and stages where I was less consistent, but getting in some seated meditation every day is super powerful. Reading every day, something that inspires you that you know takes you in a creative space is also inspiring and interesting. It's something that's again, keeping your, keeping your brain, your, 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 Neuropathways and your synapses firing, you know, and then moving more problem solving more physical work and uh, Loving I've got my wife, you know, we're in love. So I have a beautiful partner and being in relationship I've got two dogs. I love I spend some time with them every day. So, you know, being happy mm-hmm. You know, just, just having a life uh, doing things you enjoy yeah. yeah
1: daily routine of being happy
0: you know, that's it. I mean, happiness is the absence, ultimately, of dissatisfaction, it's the absence of of suffering. So you just have to every day be doing a little bit, you know, in, 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 in that. There's my little lady. What's he doing? What's he doing? What's he doing? What doing? <laughs> Wait all right. What's 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 your what what else were you thinking?
1: Yeah. So bringing this back to the the name of the podcast, which is the Driving Force Podcast. Okay. What's what's been your driving force throughout your life?
0: Oh, that's a great question. I like that question a lot because you know it's always a great you know you you would like to you know I'd I'd love to read a list of great thinkers. What's you know what are, what is their driving force? You know mostly the drive to be enough, the drive to matter um, that's been a driving force in me uh, since I was a young man i've I've been driven and i mean that's just very honest and transparent i've been driven to want to be enough for who enough for who for the people around me for myself you know but but you know in the beginning it was uh, it was very driven to matter and to make a mark and to be and and to, to contribute something you know to, to do something that was worth remembering and then you start shifting as you mature and you, you know some people do and you start questioning what matters Your driving force becomes maybe your family, your children, um, maybe taking care of people, leaving people, leaving, you know, the world better than you found it. Um, Somehow, you you know, I don't think, I don't think you ever stop. I, I can speak for myself. I doubt I will ever stop wanting or having the the drive to be the best at what I do i'm just i'm just going to say it's it's a fact i'm not i'm not going to i'm not going to pretend that i'm driven by some ideal that's that's you know spiritual or esoteric um I have no mythology that influences my behavior. I'm not religious. Um, I, 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 I'm really driven. I'm driven by being great at my craft, at being great at as 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 a as a friend, as a person, as you know, as a leader, as a follower, as a teacher, as a student. I, I, I just want to be great at whatever I do, snowboarding, playing the guitar. I don't really give a shit. I really just want to be great at whatever I do. So I'm super driven all the time to be great. And yeah. I, I just have to be very honest and say, oh, I can tell you something that might sound, you know, far more, you know, I'm driven to for world peace. I'm not. I don't believe in world peace. I don't world peace will never exist. So I don't believe in something that's fantastical or 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 magical. I believe in reality. And, and I can, it's 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 it is as it is. So I'm very comfortable with you know being a great human being. If I can be a great human being, I think that's my contribution. That's what what I can do is by being the best dad I can be, being the best. Boss, if I have an employee, yep, yeah, that's it.
1: Awesome, and then lastly, to wrap up here, what's one final thought you'd like to leave the athlete listening, regardless of their sport or art, right now? Just like kind of one final thought, words of wisdom, etc.
0: I mean, you know, do what you love and don't stop ever don't ever stop doing what you love for any reason figure out how to turn what you love into your into your business your work make sure you have enough perspective to know what your position within that field is if you're not if you're not if you're not meant to be the uh, you know the best grappler then be someone like uh, be a commentator for grappling you know find but you love that you have a passion great go and do something with that be in that field you know like if you can't act direct if you can't direct produce you know if you can't i mean you know there's always something you can do it's, you have a great, great passion for something. So I would just say that to a person, never stop. You know, trying to be the best at your craft ever. You know, because my I'm not trying to be the best grappler. I'm trying to be the best 48 year old grappler. You know, in my you know it, it's it's I'm not I don't I don't compete against. I don't compete against some fantasy. Uh, you know, I'm not, I don't look at me and Gordon Ryan and go, man, I, I should be able to beat Gordon Ryan or I should be able to beat Wagner Rocha. Right? You know, I should be able to beat, you know, Rafael Lovato Jr. Because right. I'm a great guy. It's, like, it's like, why would I think that? It's like, you know, in a way it's, it's, it's silly and it's absurd, but I can want to be the best, like 160 pound, 48 year old, you know, guy in, in my age and weight division, like I can, I can play that game. So, but I would never, you know, so I I would never stop trying to be the best for any reason. So advice wise, it's like, it's like, if you don't love something, it's easy to make you quit. It's easy to make a person quit something they don't love. It's difficult to make you quit something that you really fucking truly, sincerely love. So don't tell me you love it if it's so easy to make you quit it. That's just a fact.
1: Awesome. That's a great place to end. Cameron, thanks again for coming on the show.
0: It was a real honor to have you on. I appreciate it. it. My pleasure and honor. Thank you so much, brother. And I look forward to seeing you again. We'll do it again next, next uh, six months or next year, whenever you want to have me back on.
1: Awesome. I appreciate that. And uh, so where can people go if they want to learn more about Budokan and also follow what you're up to on social media?
0: Uh, they can go to Cameron Shane on instagram which is probably the best place to find us or budokon b-u-d-o-k-o-n online budokon university you can find us but budokon is sort of it'll start taking you to places i think our online is probably our most interesting thing for people right now because if you're living somewhere and you're watching this and you can't get to me it's going to be the most immediate relationship you can build with the practice you go online and there's a library an entire library of training techniques and videos and i do a live session with my wife is my partner every sunday uh, from our academy in miami live three-hour session we do um which you also get access to if you're a member of the school online school so you get the library, you get the, you get the, the live work. So you get, you, get to, you get to dive in deep. And if you like it, that's the, that's the place to go for sure.
1: Awesome. And you all can visit my website, chaserosa.com and follow me on Instagram at chaserosa4 for updates on
0: new episodes and on my endurance training journey. Thanks everyone who's listening and see you next time.